Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning. It's good to be with all of you today. Uh, my name is Alex, and I'm one of the pastors here. And... Um, yeah, as you notice, we'll take time to be present with one another. I've done that a couple of times today. And um, that's by design. Our city, our lives move at an unbelievably fast pace where we just have our attention driven by our, our phones or our jobs or another relationship constantly from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. And so as often as we can, as a church staff, as elders, we... This is normal for us to slow down and just be. In fact, we're instructed in Scripture often to slow down, to be still and know that he is God. If that's new for you, welcome. If you find yourself kind of squirming and wanting to fidget because of our just addiction to continually moving, that's okay. That as we grow in our relationship with God and being present to God and to ourselves and to one another, slowing down becomes so very, very important. And so it's good to practice this discipline together. So we are continuing. This is our last sermon in our series where we're walking through replanting Redemption Church. We've been apart for over a year, and now we're coming back, and we're trying to reacclimate to life together and reorient ourselves. And so we are re planting our church. Our church is not in crisis mode. It's not like there's a bunch of fallout or drama or things like that. But what we are doing is we are recentering ourselves on what God has called us to. And so two weeks ago, we began with talking about the first importance of the gospel, that that's what our foundation of our church is on in 1 Corinthians 15. And we talked about out in Ecclesiastes 3, now is the time to do so. It's the opportune time to be doing what we're doing as a church family. We talked about God's faithful presence to us and how our church is responding to that reality. Last week, we talked about being a hospital for the first six years of our church plant. We've been a hospital. A lot of people showed up with a lot of banged up, bruised, wounded faith. And we've been a place where we've been able, you've been cared for and looked after. Jude instructs us uh, to have mercy on those who doubt. And so for those who have gone through a lot of faith crisis, redemption has been a safe place. By God's grace, and we're going to always be a hospital, but we're also turning toward hospitality and looking outside of our church as well and looking to serve the city. And so one thing that we pressed on last week was our small groups that you've heard about uh, a couple of times already this morning. And our small groups are going to be naturally leaning into the rhythms of the year. So we're going to gather around common interests. For some, it's entrepreneurial groups. Some, it's going to be cooking groups. Some are jogging. Some are reading groups, right? But we're going to gather for 13 weeks in the spring, six weeks in the summer, and then 13 weeks in the fall. And those groups are going to be gathered around being present to one another, sharing our lives with one another, rooted in Jesus and the gospel. Those groups are also going to be strategically honing in on serving four uh, key groups who are oftentimes marginalized in our city. We're going to be serving refugees, 
Yes and amen. We are going to serve the elderly. Yes and amen. We are going to be serving uh, Title I schools. And let's see, what's the third one? Oh, our unhoused neighbors. That's where we're going to be spending. And so those groups are going to intentionally invest. And you'll hear more about that in the days to come. So that's where we were over the last couple of weeks. Today, we're talking about, we're going to do a lot of internal housework again and kind of cast vision on where we're headed. And so we're talking about Jesus building his church. Jesus building his church. So here's what Jesus, here's what it says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus has this encounter with his disciples. Rumors are flying around on the nature. Who is the Son of Man? The Son of Man was talked about in Daniel chapter 7. And so Jesus is asking the disciples, what's the word on the street? What do the people say? Who is this mysterious figure, this Son of Man? And they start saying, well, maybe he's John the Baptist, or maybe the Son of Man is Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus makes this pivot and says, right. Who do you say that I am? I'm not interested now as much as the rest of the crowd and what others are saying about me or my identity or even the son of man, theology itself. Who do you say that I am? That might be the most important question you'll ever answer in your entire life. Who is Jesus? He's not a take it or leave it kind of figure. (laughs) Who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? This is not a question you answer once, mind you. This is a question you answer every day. This is a question you answer in your relationships. This is a question you answer in your habits. This is a question you answer in how you steward your money, your time, your resources. Your whole life is a continual answer to who do you say he is. The Christian response is you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Christ. That's what Peter confessed. You're the Christ, the anointed one the hope of Israel, the Messiah of God, the Savior of the world. You are the Christ, Jesus. There's no other Savior coming after you. There's no one like you. You're unrivaled. You're unmatched. You're undefeated. There's no one even jockeying for your position because, well, you're unrivaled. It's not up for grabs. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the Christian answer to what we say about the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus' response was then, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because you didn't arrive on this conclusion on yourself, but my Father, who is in heaven, revealed this to you. 
So if you're a Christian falling in line behind Peter, confessing Jesus to be the Christ, you are a believer and one who confesses Jesus not on your own works or because you rationally put all the things together, but because God in his sovereignty revealed that reality to you, is that no man is good, no man seeks God. All these things that scripture tells us again and again, that is true. So if you know God, it's because God introduced himself and his son to you. Think, and just please, just think about God outside the four walls of this building right now. Our almighty, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God who hung every star in the galaxy introduced himself and his blessed son to you. Why would he do that? What were you doing? Were you being good? Is it your good looks? Was it your education? Was it your, you know, you you gave to a charity? No. In fact, while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. God in his just grace decided to introduce himself to you. God who put all the fish in the sea, who paints all the stripes on all the zebras. God. God introduced himself to you. (laughs) So the Christian life is a response to that reality. I want to be present to you. And then Jesus says, and you are Peter, (laughs) which it's, it's, he gives him this nickname, it's Rocky. You're Peter on this rock. I'm going to build my church. And this is saying more than just how our, our Catholic brothers and sisters reverence St. Peter. It's the confession of Peter that is so important here, not Peter. It's on this rock that I build my church. I build my church. I gather my people on this confession. And in a day and an age that continues to, to divide us like crazy. In fact, pull up your phone right now and just go on social media and just, just have a look. It's nuts in a day and age where we continually fracture and divide. Look what unites us together in this room. It is not our skin color or our politics. What unites us is Christ himself. We're confessing Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. On this rock, I, Jesus, I will build my church. The church does not belong to your pastor. The church does not belong to a pope. The church does not belong to a group of men and women that are just gathered even right here, right now, or all across our city or around our globe. The church belongs to Jesus because he bought her. Jesus is the head of the church. And anytime we get that confused and we take that kind of ownership over the church, the church always goes to a place of being oppressive and destructive. But as long as Jesus is the one in charge and Jesus is the one that calls the shots, well, his church shines in the way that he intends for her to do so. The church belongs to Jesus. Men and women come and go, but Jesus, he is on his throne forever and ever. The church belongs to Jesus. So, amen. All right. C.S. Lewis said this about the church. It's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects. Education, building, missions, holding services. Just as it is easy to think that the state has a lot of different objects. 
military, political, economic, and whatnot, but in a way that are but in a way, things are much simpler than that. The state exists simply to promote and protect the ordinary happiness of human beings in this life. A husband and wife chatting over a fire, a couple friends having a game of darts in the pub, a man sitting at, uh, reading a book in his own room or digging in his own garden. This is what the state is there for. And unless they are helping to increase and prolong and protect such moments, all the laws, parliaments, armies, courts, police, economics, etc., are simply a waste of time. In the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, and even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. Wow. So what does the church exist for? To draw people to Jesus. Everything else, if we're not drawing people to Jesus and seeing men and women, children, grow up and be conformed into the image of Jesus, then it's a, it's a waste of time. We should be at brunch right now or doing anything else. But the church exists for the purpose of conforming people into the image of our blessed Lord Jesus. That's the point of the church. Pastor Eugene Peterson, I love that Lisa mentioned him a minute ago. We love Eugene around here. Eugene Peterson said this in, um, uh, uh, what, whatever, who cares? He said it this way, long obedience in the same direction. I was trying to remember the name of the book. Uh, our membership in the church is a corollary of our faith in Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. It is part of the fabric of redemption. It's just how it works. There's no such thing as saying, I love Jesus and I hate the church. We might struggle with the church. We definitely do because people are involved. Church is always going to be messy. But we don't say, I love Jesus and I hate the church. That's his bride. We love his bride. As difficult and crazy as she can be sometimes, we love the church. You're the church. So the writers in the New Testament say this. They put a tremendous emphasis on being present to one another, faithfully present. Listen to this. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. 1 Corinthians 12.25, have equal concern for one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. Galatians 6.2, carry one another's burdens. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another. Colossians 3.16, teach one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. Hebrews 10.24, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10.25, meet together, encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. You see this continual emphasis on growing together. I was talking to my buddy Brennan outside this morning, and he said, you know what? I notice my faith goes up when I'm with people. It's like, right, because we are not called merely to be Bible students, and the Bible is the Word of God, and we do study it. But the body of Christ is the actual language that the New Testament uses to describe us. Yes, we submit and study the, uh, the Word of God, but we come together as the body of Christ, the vine, the people of God coming together. And so, 
This means that we don't merely show up to worship services or small groups or serving events just for the sake of showing up because we're supposed to be there, but rather we show up with a purpose to do these commands that we're given to bless and build the people of God. And one way, and this is quite subversive, but one way that we're going to see our relationships grow is to practice the often neglected discipline of listening. Listening. You see, as I said a minute ago, our world pumps us full of information 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And as much as we blab and talk (laughs) constantly, many of us don't ever feel quite heard. One of the greatest gifts you can give someone is listening. What would our city feel like? What would your life look like? What would our church look like if we became good at listening? Keith Anderson wrote this. Listening is the way that we are present to time, to self, and to one another, and to God. Listening is not something you do in retrospect. It's not remembering. Listening is the way we attend to here and now in the fullness of time. So, as we talk about planting Redemption Church and replanting Redemption Church, let's talk about some just practical things. Mentioned a moment ago uh, our small groups and how we're overhauling those and the direction that those are headed. Um, The next thing that I want to mention is Redemption Kids, our kids ministry, which we have a bunch of kids in here today, and I am so thankful for all of you kids. So, the foundation of kids ministry begins not in this building, but at home. Mom and dad, listen to this. From Deuteronomy 6, it says this in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Most of us are familiar with that verse. But look at what the context is. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Talk about these things when you're walking along the road. You see, it's not uncommon for Christian parents to farm out discipleship to the church. And they go, well, I mean, the church will take care of my kids' faith, and the church, that's, that's kind of, that's the church's job. And Moses, <laughs> from 4,000 years ago, called our bluff a long time ago and said, no, 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 mom and dad, this is you. You get the opportunity. You get the privilege and the honor of stewarding your children's lives. So when do you do it? How do you do it? Oh, well, you just do it like you live your normal life. When you're taking a walk around the neighborhood, when you're having dinner together, when you're riding somewhere in the car, just talk. And so for so many of us parents, we feel quite ill-equipped to disciple our kids. Anybody feel honest in that moment? Like, yeah, all of us, all the parents like, yeah. How do you do it? Where do you start? You start where Moses starts, taking a walk, talk, be present, get interested in them. Let your faith bubble out of your conversation. 
And it doesn't mean you give your child a, a sermon every five seconds, or every time you get onto them, you quote the word of God. But it does mean spend enough time with Jesus. Be familiar with Jesus, the presence of Jesus, to have Jesus working in you in such a way that your conversation with them becomes natural. So that's one, is that we take that responsibility seriously. Kids' ministry starts at home. But then two, of course, there's the the local church, us here. We want to see our kids growing up in Sunday school, learning the Bible stories in a safe and clean environment where God's truth is spoken over them and Sunday school teachers pray with them and encourage them and build them up in Jesus. And for those that are serving in kids' ministry and have over the last few years, thank you. I know that is an incredible time. Uh, like, it's a, it's a labor of love. It's, we know. It is. And here's one thing I want to encourage you in. Is that those hours with goldfish crackers being stomped into the carpet that you get to vacuum up, or the kids that aren't listening, and they're running around, and they're loud, and they're squirmy, and all the rest, all those hours where you're just like, is this going anywhere? The answer is yes. How many of you actually grew up in church? Like, truly, like, like the, yeah, look at all these hands. Yeah, like going, wow, all those hours that those people that were investing in you, they were sowing seeds on your heart. Don't just see a three-year-old that's not paying attention. Envision a 38-year-old mom because someone came along and watered those seeds all along the way. And so those hours that feel tedious, (laughs) and they are, those are making significant investments in the kingdom of God. So see a longer vision than just the hour on a Sunday morning. That would be my big encouragement to you. And truly, thank you for doing so. Buggy Castro jumped on the team um, and started leading our Redemption Kids ministry a, a few months ago and has done an absolutely fabulous job with coming up with different opportunities and ways of connecting our kids and encouraging our kids during a pandemic Unbelievable work, Bug, wherever you are. We, we love you, Bug, and celebrate you. Um, and Buggy has more than a vision than just Sunday morning. Uh, Buggy, this is what Buggy said about our kids. She, wanted our, she wants our kids to grow up with a big emphasis on understanding that kids are servants of the king, too. Listen, Buggy said, kids feel more connected to the church when they're contributing to something bigger than themselves. I want them to know that serving others is a normal aspect of following Jesus for all of our lives. And so as we were on the phone a few days ago, she was just saying like, I I just want our kids to like realize like that when a serving opportunity pops up and they're 20 years old, they just go, yeah, of course, I'm down. Because that's just, that's just what we do. We we serve. It's just a natural. So she's praying and leading in that direction. I think that is a beautiful vision to raise up children that think of serving, thinking of others. How many times do you say that as well, parents? Think of somebody else. (laughs) That's part of what Bug's heart is in discipling our children. Um, Women's ministry. As as you know, Lisa Eichelberger, who was leading us a few minutes ago, uh, stepped onto the team a couple of months ago as well and has brought a lot of light and insight into our church. 
and guidance and leadership and direction. So we love you, Lisa. Thank you for serving in the way that you do. Um, Currently, she's recruiting a team of women to help her in facilitating all kinds of different aspects of women's ministry. One passage that the Holy Spirit has really impressed on her uh, comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Ephesians 4, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. So in reflecting on the vision of seeing our women of our church thrive in faithful presence to God himself and others, Lisa said this, I want to see our women growing both individually and collectively. God's called us not only to grow in our devotion to him, but also in our commitment to one another. He wants us to see consistent, he wants us to consistently be building one another up, submitting to his word and leaning into the Holy Spirit. All too often, lies of fear and envy keep us from being fully known and present to one another. And so, it's going to take real courage and honesty and gentleness to help us see these things repent and grow. It's also really important that we recognize that all women don't share the same dreams, goals, calling, or aspirations in life. Some get married and some don't. Some have children and some do not or cannot. Some work outside the home. Some don't. The vision of this ministry is not a cookie cutter that aims to produce hundreds of women who are all exactly alike. God creates and values our diversity in ethnicity, in age, and life stage. And so we're going to honor that reality and include everyone. That is good. We're not a cookie cutter approach. Yeah. On Sundays, we're going to do some things different on Sunday mornings as we get back to to normal. Um, As you know, it takes a lot of people to do Sunday mornings well when we're running in a normal time of year. And so from hospitality team who's getting donuts and brewing coffee and setting up signs around the lake and welcoming you into church— to Redemption Kids volunteers, to to a prayer team who gathers and prays through the whole day and prays over every seat in this place. There's a lot of people, people that run sound and now video. Um, There's a lot of people, band, that all come together week by week to do this. One thing that we've noticed over the first few years is that in particular, those serving in kids ministry can get quite burned out quickly because we show up siloed at all different times. Engagement team gets here at this time, a band gets here at this time, kids men get here at this time. And so these ministries that are all siloed, oftentimes everybody else gets to go to worship, but those serving in kids ministry are serving in kids men and then they go home and they're tired. So what we're wanting to do is address that reality. You know, what do we do? Because those serving also need to hear the good news and need to be in, in, encouraged and refreshed in the gospel. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do an all-team huddle for everyone that's serving on Sunday mornings. We're all going to arrive at the same time on Sunday morning at 8.30. We're going to have breakfast together, bring in breakfast burritos. We're going to have time where we're going to catch up 
fellowship, and then we're going to have one of our elders or a staff member, a volunteer, lead in a time of devotion in the Word of God. We're going to take communion together. We'll have Dan or some of our musicians are going to lead us in a song or two together. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to break, and we're going to go about serving all morning together. But it's a way to invest in everyone and not just the few that happen to luck out and land in here on a Sunday morning. Cool? So that's how Sunday mornings are going to feel as far as those involved in serving. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) So uh, now let's talk for just briefly for a moment about Sunday morning worship. Uh, We've had Dan Folgado joined our team in August of 2019. So right before everything went crazy. And uh, Dan has done a fantastic job leading us. Um, He had to, yeah, there you go. You got (laughs) to. So Dan's done a fabulous job, um, both with just his his natural gifting, but he's enabled to, uh, he pivoted and led us in worshiping online, which none of us knew how to do that. And Dan did a fantastic job with that. And so in speaking with Dan about replanting redemption and what he envisions as a vibrant community that's engaged in worshiping God, he said this, I'd love to see our community continuing to grow toward a more holistic view of worship, one that sees worship as all the moments of our life and not just what we do one hour together on a Sunday. I think for many of us, myself included, we've often relied solely on our theology to carry us through our days, but the worship of Yahweh is much more beautiful and expansive way or view of life. It's a way in which we move throughout our days and we keep our gaze fixed on Christ. And in the many moments that we fail, we're reminded again and again to come back and to turn our eyes. And as we continue to turn, we find that everything we need, we already have. Our worship and witness keep us striving to be faithfully present to God because he's always been faithfully present to us. A holistic view of worship that goes with you outside the doors when the benediction is given, that we worship God in our workplace, in our home, in our neighborhood, and so on. All right, we're moving. Thank you for listening so far. We're still moving through this. Um, When it comes to Sunday mornings, we're going to do things, as you noticed the last few weeks, punctuality. We're going to start precisely at 10 a.m., not 10.05. Why? Because that's when we told God we would be here. Uh, It's also when we told our city we would be here. And so we're going to honor people's time. We are. To start on time is is actually important. The Bible doesn't say you have to be at a building at 10 a.m., but we've decided that as we are worshiping, we're going to show up and we're going to be punctual. And so that means go to bed early on Saturday night. Get to bed on time. Prepare yourself. Uh, Get up in the morning and prepare your heart. Take a few minutes as you anticipate worshiping God and seeing your friends. But we're going to show up and we're going to begin. Show up. So one is punctuality. Two is expectancy. We need to be the most expectant people of God in our city. To be expectant that Psalm 22 is true. That God sits enthroned on the praises of his people. That Jesus is present as we gather in his name, Matthew 18, verse 20. 
And so in rekindling an expectancy for God to move, I want you to remember where you were when Jesus found you. Who were you? What was life like? Go back. Remember that God reached out, God regenerated, God initiated a relationship with you. And so we ought to be expecting that God is going to move as we gather in the name of Jesus through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We expect you, Lord, to show up and to move. I expect you, Lord, to change me. I expect you, Lord, I want to be different. By the time I walk out of this building, I want to have new insight and fresh power from your spirit that I might live a life for your glory, the way you've called me to it, to become expectant people of God. Amen. Yeah. The third thing is participation. <laughs> and I know we're, we, we can live in our heads in Seattle. I get it. Um, but God is not just a doctrine to be studied. God is a person to be encountered and is encountering you day by day. So when we participate, did you know the Bible, yes, tells us to be still and know that he is Lord, and we do that. But the, there's actual commands in Scripture, like when it comes to like physically worshiping God. Um, and I know it, it can be weird, like you can't tell me what to do. I didn't. God does. Um, he tells us all what to do. <laughs> um, but there are commands, like sing, clap. Bow, shout, like lift your hands, dance. Like there are commands from God to respond. And so for those of us that are more inclined to be like, well, I'm, I'm celebrating Jesus in my heart. All of the guys writing the Psalms are just rolling their eyes. They're like, I don't think that's what we're getting at. They're an expressive community. Go read your Old Testament. It's quite expressive. So participate, that as you sense the Spirit of God working on you, as you sense the Spirit of God speaking to you, to participate, that it's okay, and not only is it okay, it's right and it's commanded that we lift our hands in praise to the God who would hang on a cross for us. It's only right that we lift our voices loud. He's the one who put the breath in our lungs. It's right that we kneel and we bow before God in a humble posture because he's created us and he has sustained us and he is providing for us and he has given us his word and his church and his promises that we are to participate and you have permission to do so. And I know that's like, that can be a challenge, but I want you to pray that through. Think about it as you become a worshiper of God, that we are practicing for heaven. So put your time in. <laughs> We're going to be a church that welcomes newcomers. We've been really good at that over the years, I think. And at the same time, we can also be kind of what church people tend to do. And it's just creatures of habit where we just lump toward our friends and we talk to our buddy and like, and that's good. But we also want to be mindful that new people are coming in don't know all of us, and we want to be mindful and welcoming and hospitable and glad you're here. You're included. That's so important, especially in a city that has something called the Seattle Freeze. <laughs> sending. When it comes to sending people, 
maybe you've noticed a lot of people move. You found yourself kind of saying that a lot? Like I counted over 45 people that have moved since November of 2019 from our church. Like, and that's normal, that's normal. It's just normal for Seattle, it's normal for New York. It's just normal for cities like ours. It's just normal for people to move. And so what we're gonna do is not merely just watch somebody leave and go, well, my job just took me to this place. But we're gonna acknowledge that Acts 17 is true, that God ordains the times and places in which people would live. And so that means that some people are here and they're gonna be here for the long haul. And I am one of you, <laughs> by God's grace. And, and others are going to get moved. And so we're going to look at the sovereignty of God in Acts chapter 17 and go, all right, well, if you're moving, we're going to pray for you and we want to send you out. We want to connect you with another church and a new city where you find yourself working. But we're not just going to be like, well, see ya. These are all cultural things that we're changing about our church. And we're going to be intentional about all of it. This is all about faithful presence. You guys with me? Okay, cool. I know this is an un, a, a different day, but we are replanting our church. So it's a little different. I'm almost done. Just, just bear with me. I want to talk for a moment uh, very briefly about evangelism. We live in what is known as the nun zone, N-O-N-E. I mentioned that a week ago, nun zone. It's the box that most people tick in our region uh, when it comes to religious affiliation. None, none. We've been that way forever and ever. We're still leading the country in being the nun zone. Maybe you've noticed, not a lot of Christians in Seattle, <laughs> none. Now, that doesn't mean that our city is not very spiritual. Maybe you've noticed it's quite spiritual, but also quite secular. So sociologists and anthropologists have written up, a, read a lot on this stuff in our particular city. Um, here in Cascadia, in particular, the spirituality that bubbles up uh, happens in three places. The first group is new age spirituality. Secular but spiritual, new age, discovering one's true self through popular books. Uh, the other group is apocalyptic. So it includes more hardcore anti-government, white supremacists, and survivalists. Um, and, then, and then the third group uh, is, is basically those who uh, follow like a nature, religion. Those are your three big secular but spiritual groups in our region. And so some might look around and grow very discouraged. <laughs> but Jesus isn't. Not in the slightest. In fact, when Jesus looked at cities like ours, he would say, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. John 4, 35. You see, each week, the gospel is clearly proclaimed here from our pulpit with sensitivity toward our unbelieving friends in worship. But the pulpit is not the only place where the gospel is to be proclaimed. Part of remaining faithfully present to those outside the church has to do with stewardship of the gospel message. That's what we all are called to 
And so as we replant, God is calling us to be both bold and gentle in sharing the good news. Brennan Manning, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, said this about evangelism. The ministry of evangelization is an extraordinary opportunity of showing gratitude to Jesus by passing on his gospel of grace to others. However, the conversion by concussion method of one sledgehammer blow of the Bible after another betrays a basic disrespect for the dignity of the other and is utterly alien to the gospel imperative to bear witness. Now listen to this. To evangelize a person is to say to him or her, you too are loved by God in the Lord Jesus. And not only that, but to really think it and relate it to the man or woman so that they can sense it. This is what it means to announce the good news. But that becomes possible only by offering the person your friendship, a friendship that is real, unselfish, without condescension, full of confidence and profound esteem. That's evangelism. To show up and say, you too are loved by God and the Lord Jesus, but not just think it, but to say it and feel it and communicate it in a way that goes, this person actually thinks God loves me. You can only do that on the ground of friendship. It's not a sledgehammer blow, but rather it is offering your genuine conviction and experience of the Lord Jesus. And when you're evangelizing people, It's not just inviting people to a church building. You're showing gratitude to Jesus. And so you're just talking about your gratitude for all that Jesus has done for you. That's at the heart of evangelism. That's good. And so God's calling us to that. Now, as we pray big prayers, I'd ask you to join me in a prayer that I'm consistently bringing before God. And it's that we would become a church planting church, a church that would plant other churches. What would it look like to raise up a church planter from within our church? Now I'm in dreaming mode. Um, What would it look like to raise up a church planter, to send them out with 40 people, to send them out with training and backing and financial support? So that another gospel lighthouse might be established in our city. Wouldn't that be cool? Do you know that people, like, it's still the most effective way of reaching unbelievers is actually through church planting. That's still the thing. Unbelievers tend to meet Jesus in those spaces more than anywhere else. What if we became a church planting church? What if we thought outside of our own four walls? What if we started thinking of somewhere else? Who else is God calling you? What would that look like? As we think about dreaming, I want to mention or remind you what I said at the beginning, or I told our our staff this morning. When When we start dreaming about the future of redemption together, don't do it devoid of Jesus and the good news. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus appeared physically to over 500 people at one time. Put yourself in that crowd. What if you saw Jesus on Palm Sunday? What if you saw Jesus on Good Friday? What if you saw Jesus on Easter Sunday? 
What if two weeks go by and Jesus walks up to you and 500 other people standing in the city has the biggest grin across his face and says, I beat the devil. (laughs) I separated all your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down on my throne next to my father. What do you want to do? I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. What do you want to do? That's the ground from which Christians dream. We don't dream about buildings and brands. We don't dream about just services. We dream in light of the resurrected Jesus who says, want to play? You want in? What do you envision? What kind of flourishing could possibly happen under the leadership and the, of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of God landing on a group of people here in Seattle, Washington? And look, I know we're all tired. If we have been weathering a pandemic, we've weathered deconstruction, we've weathered a lot of stuff together. But what would a church look like if we got one glimpse of the resurrected Jesus and he looks at you with a big smile on your face, on his face, with no grudge toward you and says, you want to play? What would you do? How would you pray? How would you give? How would you serve? What would you come up with? What if money wasn't even a problem? What if he owned all the cattle on all the hills and says, what if, just dream, man. What do you want to do? You want to have fun? You want to see people come to know me? You want to see marriages healed? You want to see children baptized? Yeah, I do. You want to see people flourish yeah that's the ground from which Christians dream so what would it look like this is your invitation so here's some dreams that I'm writing out and I'm praying through what if we were able to get a building somewhere in our city that's strategically located to serve the needs of our church and our community? What if in that building, we are able to host our Northwest Center for Theology and Mission that's going to begin this fall, that's accredited through Western Seminary and Covenant Theological Seminary? What if we had a building that we could equip pastors and lay leaders through the City to City Network? What if we had a great space for Redemption Kids to have a safe and clean, warm classrooms to do Sunday school in? What if we were able to house a a small preschool program? What if we had some sort of indoor play space for, you know, the the rainy months? (laughs) Because, you know. What if we were able to open up counseling offices? What if we had classrooms in which we could host job trainings and networking events? What if we could run some kind of after-school and mentoring and tutoring programs? What if we were able to host Sunday morning breakfast for our unhoused neighbors, where they knew, oh, if I showed up there, they're, they're taking care of people on Sunday mornings before they worship their God. They're feeding the mouths of the hungry. That's vision. I bet you Jesus would find us there. Brennan Manning also said, our hearts of stone become hearts of flesh when we learn where the outcast weeps. What if, what if we had a mercy ministry that worked closely with Aurora Commons and Mary's Place 
and world relief? What if we were able to have gardens on our grounds that would grow fruit and veggies for those in need? I don't know. We could go on and on as we dream together, but I want to invite you to dream with me and not merely just say, all right, pastor, dream it up and uh, we'll just follow you. That's, that's, That's not it. The invitation to you is to dream with. What's God calling you to? When you close your eyes and you envision God working through your life and in our church and in our city, what's he calling to you? calling you to that's the invitation so all of this and a whole lot more is written out in a roughly 40 pages <laughs> of replanting redemption that I spent some time on and um, it walks through the mission and the vision the history the philosophy the theology of all that we're doing but, and you'll get that later this week in a PDF and God willing, we'll, we'll, they'll be in like book form next week for you. Um, but this is a, a time to dream together as we reopen and reorient. What is God calling us to? Faithful presence. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We are thankful for our time together. You are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, I pray for men and women in our church to get real vision. For some of us, we've slipped into a state of being really lukewarm and we need to wake up. Many of us are asleep at the wheel of our own faith. Would you jostle those who are sleeping and wake up? For those who are thriving in your presence, thank you, God. Would you put us all on the same page? Help us to dream. Help us to envision. Help us to be present to you. Help us to follow your leadership and under your lordship. Blessed Lord Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayer. We pray all of this in your good name. Amen.